Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. Say, Jesus, I don't want another message. I want you to speak to my heart. I believe that you have things you want to do in my life right now. And I want to go there with you. So I receive the gift of grace and faith to believe you, come and have your way. If you agree with that, say amen. 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 Well, I can still remember the first class in school that I hated. It was later elementary school, physical education, PE class. Now, don't get me wrong. Most times, PE class was amazing. It was like an extended recess. It was a place where you could go after lunch and just go play more kickball or football or basketball or dodgeball, every kind of ball. But for a few weeks a year, PE class turned to doomsday. It was a time they called the health assessments. I don't know if anybody remembers this or not, but during this time they decided, this was before any of our viral and internet and all of that, Right, which is good because I would have been bullied on a global scale. They decided to bring the entire school together in the gymnasium for a few days where they were going to put you up to all of these different physical challenges and they'd record them down in a ledger to remember forever. And I can remember for me at fifth grade, listen, I was smaller than every other person in my class until 10th grade. And so at fifth grade, being the smallest person in my class, looking like a second or third grader, I had the added bonus that for my little fifth grade body, I had absolutely zero muscle mass. So basically, I was just a walking fail video for fitness. And they decided to put me on the grand stage. I can remember in these fitness challenges, they would have different things they'd have you do. They'd have you do push-ups. My push-ups in fifth grade looked like I was inventing a new yoga backbend. It's basically what it looked like. Then they'd have sit-ups. Do you guys remember this? When they'd have you do the sit-ups and they'd make you lay down on the ground and then somebody would put their full weight on your feet and your legs would be bent and you have to get as many sit-ups as you can. If you want a picture of what it looked like for me doing sit-ups in fifth grade, it's like, um, okay, if you've ever been fishing and you caught a fish and you put the fish in the boat and the fish is no longer in water and so the fish knows, like, this is probably the end. 
I'm probably going to die. And in most places, the fish doesn't move, but every once in a while, it just kind of flops. Those were my sit-ups, right, that would go for just a long period of time. Then they had pull-ups. Pull-ups. I just call them let-downs, actually, I think was what they were. My, my version of a pull-up was me sweating and flailing on a bar while everybody pointed and laughed at me. I guess they could be point-ats. Let-downs or point-ats, that was what they were. People just look at, look at this boy. But I can remember the worst thing they had in health assessment week was running. They had two kinds of runs. The first was the speed runs. And at the speed runs, they'd get you all out on the track. Now, I want you to remember, I am half of the height of all my classmates. So I can remember the whistle would blow, and man, I'd take off, and my arms and my legs would be going like a little locomotive, and I'd be giving all I had, when all of a sudden I'd look out of the corner of my eye, and these gangly-looking gazelles, right, just coming by, and every other lane just passing me easily. And that was the end of the speed races. But that wasn't the worst part. The worst part was they said, well, now what we have is the timed one-mile run. And they had this rule that you had to run a mile in under 12 minutes. And now for some people, that was a cakewalk. But for me, I held the general belief that unless a ferocious animal or a person with a weapon was chasing you, you should never, ever run. And even in that setting, you only need to be a little bit faster than one other person. Not very Christian, but it's what went through my fifth grade mind. In the timed one-mile run, I can remember that, that I would get out there, and every time I would try to run, and not just in this timed one mile, but, but when I'd get the time, the New Year's resolution, I'd go, maybe I'll just take up running this year, right? Every time I'd start to run, I had the same feeling instantly. It's called, um, what's that, regret. Regret was the feeling that I instantly had. Because the minute I would start running, I'd feel pain over my body, it would be hard to breathe, and then suddenly, I'd get the side running cramps. Does anybody know what the side running cramp feels like? Like you're dying on this side of your body. You remember that? And then the coach, the PE coach, would come in and give you the most helpful advice. What they would say is, listen, we got a magic trick that'll do the job. If you get cramps, all you got to do while you're running is just hold your arm over your head like this and just keep jogging until the pain stops. Yeah, I got a newsflash for you. This does nothing except... Get the attention like a red flare of every other kid in your class that you're the one 25 feet into the one-mile run that is so out of shape that he's already calling for backup. I hated fitness as a kid. But when I was little, I had one thing to my little metabolism's advantage. I could not gain a pound to save my life. So through elementary school and middle school and high school, y'all, I'd buy like the full boxes of the Tyson chicken tenders. I'd eat a whole box of that. I'd, I'd down a quart of ice cream. I'm like, man, this is just the best ever. I just ate junk. And it was great until graduation day. I think it was no sooner than I had turned the tassel on my graduation cap that the creditors from the fitness department demanded payment for years of non-service, and they wanted it with interest. And so I went through my freshman year and put on, and some of you know it from doing it, I put on the freshman 25 was what I put on, 25 pounds, and suddenly, wouldn't you know it, voila, I'm interested in fitness again. And so when I came as a college student, 
wanting to get in shape, I found a few things. One, the gym was too expensive for a college kid. They didn't have these 24-hour gyms and all of that. It was like you paid a lot to have a gym membership. So that was out. I loved mountain biking, but driving a little car around, I, it took more time to get the little mount on the back of my trunk to take the mountain bike than it ever took biking, so that was impractical. I can remember buying the Beachbody DVDs. Anybody remember these? They'd have names like Insanity, Body Beast. And you know what? I loved all two weeks of those that I did. They were amazing. Every time it's 60 days, I'm going to get there, and you're like, eh. I don't really care that much about it. They'd always fade out. And so, as a young adult, you can imagine my shock when I found myself one morning standing outside on the sidewalk outside of my house with tennis shoes on, thinking something I never thought would come out of my mouth. I want to learn how to run. Now, I had never run more than two miles in my entire life, but I had a goal, probably a New Year's resolution, something like that. And I said what I was going to do was I was going to enter into a 5K. And for those of you like Michael Scott office fans, no, a 5K is not 5,000 miles. A 5K is 3.1 miles. And I said, okay, I'm going to run 3.1 miles. That's what I'm going to do. And so since I didn't have any clue what I was doing and nothing ever worked before, I got an app called Couch to 5K. I felt like that defined pretty well where I was and where I wanted to go. And so I remember getting there, and I got to tell you, when I started this Couch to 5K program, my immediate response was to mock it, because somehow it was beneath even my fitness level. I remember getting out there, and it had programs like this. It said, day one, run 30 seconds, and then walk and cool down for five minutes. Run for 40 seconds, and then walk for three minutes run for another 20 seconds, and walk for two minutes. I was like, I'm going to be 90 before I even run a mile. But this Couch to 5K program promised something. It said, if you'll keep getting your shoes on and getting out on the track in front of your house, if you'll show up in 12 weeks, you'll finish the course and you'll run a 5K. And now, honestly, it was a few more weeks before I logged anything that I could even begin to be proud of. Sure enough, after 12 weeks, I ran my first 5K. And then the strangest thing happened. I wanted to run something further. So I found a program called 5K to 10K. That sounds good. I'll just double it, 6.2 miles. And I thought, hey, listen, actually, the 3.1 wasn't nearly as hard as I thought. So it's like cakewalk. It was probably three days in before I was calling out for God's mercy because what I found was now it has gone far above my current physical conditioning. I had to repeat some of those days over and over, but I didn't give up. I kept getting up in the morning and putting on my tennis shoes and going out to the running track and doing the program. And wouldn't you know it, by the time the program was done, I competed in my first 10K. And then the weirdest thing happened. I wanted to run further. So I saw a program, 10K to half marathon, and I saw that the Gasparilla was coming up, and the Gasparilla had a half marathon, 13.1 miles. And so I began to train. And this one took a lot longer to get ready for, but I could still remember it. I was on vacation at the beach, and I had just completed some of these, these strands of eight miles and nine miles of running without cramping up when suddenly I realized it. I loved running. 
kind of a freak loves running. But there I was. So I competed in the Gasparilla 13.1, was very proud of what I did. And from that time, I decided that was about all the distance that I wanted. But running had become such a fabric of my life that to this day, it's multiple times a week that I'm running a 5K distance when I go out over and over and over again. And I think back to that little, short, fitness fail video fifth grader that was standing out demoralized on the track when he just got smoked in another 50-yard dash with everybody pointing at him. And all these years later, I doubt that many people who shared the track with me have put as many miles on their sneakers as I've been able to these last years. See, it may have taken me a long time to awaken the runner in me. But once I got to the place where I had a vision to run and I kept showing up and putting on my shoes and coming to the track, something was awakened in me that could not be stopped. When the Bible talks about our life on this earth and the life that God wants to build for us, it gives two pictures. The building of a house and the running of a race. And in both of these pictures... The same sentiment is clear. God isn't interested in flashy, quick-paced, impressive lives with long list of resume accomplishments. He's seeking sons and daughters who would be willing to join him on a long road called obedience. Because the life that we are running is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And he desires to build you and I with a character that we'd run all the way to the finish line. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, the Apostle Paul says it this way. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Here's the big idea I want to give you this morning. That your life is a race you were created to win. Your life is a race you were created to win. Now I want everybody to do something with me. I want everybody to breathe in, breathe out. Congratulations, that means you're alive. That means right now you have a life, and your life is a race that you were created to win. But here's my question. Do you actually live like you believe that's true? Do you actually live today like like your life, your chores, your list of things, this week? It's not just the mundane survival of more of the same, but it's a race mapped out by the God of all creation specifically for you and that you are not just biding your time till he comes back, but today matters because in some tangible way, you're to run in such a way that you win. Is your goal today to be victorious or just to behave? Just to be a good Christian Mind your manners, do what's expected. Would your goal be to say, no, God has something for me and I want to win? Or if you're being honest, would you say, I'm just weary? And if that's you, I want you to know this morning I'm not attacking 
But my prayer has been desperately the hope to awaken your soul to run again in a way to get the prize that's been destined for you. Your life, your current, present life is a race that you were created to win. If that's true, what's the course of this race? What is it that we're running toward? And actually, in the truest sense, that would be the same for all of us. In fact, the only part that God actually wants to map out in our course, our race, is the highest and only law God holds. It's love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And love your literal neighbor to the very ends of the earth as if they were actually yourself. Treat them the way you would want to be treated. Our race is to love and to keep loving. To not let our hearts grow cold, to not get weary, to not give up. To love God with everything. To continually let him take over every room. To find over and over and over again how to keep him as the compass and fire and anchor and center of your world, your best friend and your father. And to love people. Even when they fail to recognize or appreciate the worth in you, when they fail to see you, when they're miserable and when they're mean, when they let you down and it would be easier to quit on them. See, we're all on that same track. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Love your literal neighbor as yourself. But listen, here's where it changes. While it's true that we all have that, what it looks like for you to love your God with all of your heart and to love others differs from me. You and I have different gifts. We're going to encounter different people in our journey today. Right now, you've been offered this week and this month, you will be offered different opportunities from me. We will face different obstacles that will require different levels of courage and generosity and action and patience and grace. Our paths will take us different places that will require a different anointing. I love this quote about our life right now. I want you to think about your goals and dreams for 2022 as I read this. It says, your race is you discovering the specific ways you tangibly express love for God and neighbor that helps to heal brokenness, to establish order and life upon the earth, and to build up and protect the destinies of those God placed in your sphere of influence during this moment that you get to advance the ball down the field in his redemption story. What's your race? Your race is nothing short of you discovering the specific way that you tangibly express that you receive and you release the love of your God in a way that releases healing and life and grace and peace. And this life is like the blinking of an eye. It's going to pass before we know it. But guys, in this moment, we get the ball and we're on offense, not defense. The kingdom of heaven is advancing upon the earth. 
in the race that we're to win is to pray, to go as what they prayed in the Lord's Prayer, that we would bring what is being done, his will in heaven, down to earth. So the one who wins the race, it's not the one who runs the fastest. It's not the one who accumulates the most. It's not the one who makes the most money, or has the most followers, or has the most impressive title, or house, or car. The one who wins the race is the one who has the wisdom to recognize out of a billion other journeys the course the Father charted out for your one life. And those who would have the tenacity and the boldness to make often difficult but necessary decisions to keep believing and keep forgiving, to keep being encouraged in the Lord to keep putting on your shoes and keep running, removing every hindrance and discouragement and distraction and detour and roadblock so that they win. And here's where I get really excited about this. Because the race that God mapped out for your life is different than the race God mapped out for my life, which means we can actually all run in such a way that we all win. Your brother and your sister is not your competition. That person at your job, they're not your competition. That person on your cul-de-sac that has a bigger house than you or a nicer pool than you or a nicer car than you, they're not your competition. By the way, that's not the target you should be running after anyway. We can all run the race where we all win, but listen, this isn't God showing up and getting an everybody gets a participation trophy type of thing. Though we can all win, it's extremely rare to see somebody run their race all the way to the finish line. Because it's easy to become distracted. It's easy to become bitter and to move our eyes from our course and from the finish line to blame others who stepped in our lane or took our spot or slowed us down. It's easy to make excuses. It's easy to grow content measuring our race by comparison with the status quo and not the course that was created only for you to run. It's easy for dreams to die. But still, breathe in, breathe out. You're alive. And your present life is still a race you can win. It's not easy, but it's our destiny and it's the only thing on this planet that's worth it. Hebrews chapter 9 says it this way. Sorry, Hebrews 12. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set out before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is presently seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. For just a few minutes this morning, and then we're going to unpack this in the weeks ahead, I want to share three pillars that I believe you and I will need 
if we're going to run the race that God marked out for us to win. You need a clear vision so you can run with conviction. You need continual fuel so you don't burn out. And you need a sustainable pace so you don't quit. I want to unpack that real quickly. The first is this for you and I this morning. You and I need a clear vision so we run with conviction. The first vision I think we need is this. That that life that is burning within you to live, that life that you want more than anything for your life to matter, that it's actually possible. It was Thoreau who said that most men live lives of quiet desperation. And others have attributed the rest of the quote to him as this. Most men live lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave with their song still in their lungs. I don't know how aware of it you are right now or how deeply it's been buried in you, but you need to understand this morning that God planted a dream and a drive and a course in you as deep as your fingerprints and your DNA. And his image in you is a burning desire to live a life that matters in specific and tangible ways that look different from mine and every other person who's gone before you. And if we're ever going to run our race, we've got to believe again with conviction that that kind of life is still possible. How do we do that? Hebrews tells us. If we'd look around right now, we'd understand there's lots of people complaining, right? It's easy to talk about what's broken. It's easy to hear that voice of this isn't right and that's not right. It's easy to look in the mirror and see everything you're not yet. But he says, no, if you want to actually live a race with conviction, if you want to have a vision for what God has for you, you need to see that there are a great cloud of witnesses that went before you that already lived this as a testimony that you can live out the race that God has for you. The saints before us call us to awaken and to dream, to believe again that God still desires to give us something better than our capacity to even ask or imagine. And when we remember that our God only has favorite kids, that should change things. One of the things I love to do, I love to read the biographies of great men and women of God that have led great lives. Mother Teresa and George Mueller. And here's the reason I love to read their lives. Because since God only has favorite kids, that tells me what my God is willing to do with a son or daughter who is willing to stay in their race. When I read their lives, I see how they positioned themselves to keep believing, to keep seeing, to keep obeying, to keep running. So I want to tell you, if we're going to have conviction to run our race, we've got to see a great cloud of witnesses, but it's more than that. We need a clear vision for what running our specific race looks like. We need a clear vision for what winning looks like. So I'll give you one universal truth in the kingdom of God. You ready for it? It's this, success in the kingdom of God is 100% not about your fruit, but about your faithfulness. Success in the kingdom of God. Anybody want to be successful, run your race, do what you were made to do on the planet? Just me. Anybody want to, yay, it's crowd participation. Look, just if you're getting a cramp, put your hand up over your head like this. We want that, right? We want to be successful. What is success in the kingdom? Success 
is a billion times more about faithfulness than it is about fruit. Why? Because God is responsible to bring fruit in due season. Your job is to stay in the soil and be faithful. You abide in him and he releases great fruit out of you. So let me be practical right now. For some of us right now, we're at a place where we are frustrated because we've been praying the same thing and God is not moving. God, why are you not moving? Why are you not moving? Why are you not moving? And maybe you're striving and you keep trying to leave and make other things happen. Maybe instead you need to ask the question, not God, why are you not moving? But what is it that you're wanting to remove from where I'm at right now because you're refining something in me? For some of us right now, what you need to remember is your only job has ever been to stay in good soil and let the living water of God come over you and he will bring fruit in due season. When all is said and done, the things that are going to happen in my life that are going to look like fruit that people are going to applaud, I will only have one thing to say at the end of all of it. If there's been any success in my life in the kingdom of God, it's just I was faithful to stay where I was planted with a heart that loved my father. Now, I don't know your journey, but I know if you'd stay faithful, that's going to lead you right to the success of the finish line that God has for you. 20 years as a youth pastor, I would get students that would come back from youth camp fired up, ready to go. I'm going to go change the world for God. And, ah, and some of them are in this room, and they're doing it, which is awesome. When the question would come, though, what do I do now? It's the same advice I've given for a long time. And it's this, the most radical thing you can do in the kingdom of God is obey. You wait when God says to wait. You stay when God says to stay. You hold on to that crappy, terrible job when he says you hold on to that crappy, terrible job because I'm doing things you don't see. In the midst of a cancel culture, you don't cancel when God says renew. Now, that ain't even in my message, but that's good. Somebody needs that. I believe, guys, this is why so many New Year's resolutions fail. It's not only that we're trying to go after these goals for our life and our own strength, but for many of us, we're not even going after the goals that are the course that were marked out for us. We're just going after something sparkly that the world told us was success and will get us applause and recognition. So for some of us right now, what we need is not to have a New Year's resolution of what do I want with my life, but we need a clear vision again of, God, what did you create me for on this planet? What's the race that you want for me to run? Because if I get a clear vision for that, then I can run with conviction. And if I'm in a difficult place or a rough job or a refining time, I can keep going and not lose heart because I know where we're headed. The first thing we need is a clear vision so we run with conviction. The second, though, is we need continual fuel so we don't burn out. When you look at this in Hebrews 12, how does it say we keep running? It says, we fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy before him endured the cross. People are being mean to us, but we fix our eyes on Jesus. We're not meeting the deadlines we thought, but we fix our eyes on Jesus. Things look tough financially or with a health report we just got, but we fix our eyes on Jesus. I would put it to you this way. In our lives, you will either focus on the present development of your surroundings or the present delight of your Savior. It can't be both. In your life right now, in your days right now, you are either focusing on the present development of your surroundings or the present delight of your Savior. It can't be both. I love talking to photographers because they teach me things, and I'm probably going to hack this terribly photographer, so forgive me in advance. 
But one of the things they teach you about focus is if you're wanting to bring something in focus, if I'm wanting to take a picture of my son, Bradley, and there's this whole room going behind Bradley, that if I'm going to choose to focus in on Bradley, that all of the rest of you are going to blur in the background, that everything that gets away from the, the point, the focal point, is going to fade away. So right now, this is what you need to know. You can only put your focus in one direction, and right now, either you are focusing on the present development of your surroundings, who's with you, who's not with you, what goals are you hitting, what's on your to-do list that isn't working, what's failing. If that's you, I'm going to say it's likely that you don't rest well and you don't celebrate well because you're always tinkering and probably you're prone to believe that God's dreams for your life, you actually have a bigger dream than he does. He won't say it out loud, but you believe it more depends on you. And so today what's on your horizon is what's not yet. But if you see the delight of Jesus right now, then you remember the finish line you're running to, which, spoiler alert, it's him. You remember the God who called you. You remember the strength that carries you and hope fills your horizon. I think of the words of Nehemiah where it says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Do you know what that means for your life today? If you have no joy, you have no strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. What does it mean? Right now, if you're focusing on your present surroundings, and by the way, we do this every January, don't we? We show up again, the ball drops, and we're like, it's going to be a magical different year. 2020 showed up, and it's like, nope, not going to happen. And so then 2021 came, and we were like, 2020's over. 2021's like, hold my beer, right? I mean, it was just, but sure enough, where did we hit at the end of this year as a culture? Thank God these years are behind us. 2022 has come. The magical day has moved back to January, and now it's all going to be different. And we run believing that we're just going to get it here. And so what do we do? We show up, and we look at all of our present surroundings and all of our present circumstances, and we get all of our resolutions and all of our to-do lists, often as Christians never even stopping and asking the Father what he's wanting to build. And then we wonder why by March it didn't come. And here's what starts to happen. Then we get bitter and we start blaming our church and we start blaming other Christians and we start blaming God and we start blaming our spouse and we start blaming our children. It's easy to get distracted in somebody who ran in your lane instead of keeping your eyes focused on the finish line. We're going to need continual fuel so we won't burn out. And if we don't have joy, we won't have strength. So in the weeks ahead, this is what I want to do. I want to be very practical. I want you to recognize in very tangible, practical ways that will be different than mine. What fuels you? What excites you? What restores the joy of your salvation within you? But just as importantly, I want you to recognize what drains you and what spins you. And that's going to be very important because those things aren't necessarily bad. There are many things we're going to be called to in the kingdom of God that are difficult, that are tough. And we're called to do them anyway. But if we live our whole lives always spending and never refilling, we will lose our joy, we will lose our strength, and we will stop running. In the words of Jesus, the love of many will grow cold. How do we keep from doing that? We fix our eyes on Jesus for a long road of obedience. The final one is this. And then I just want to close us in prayer this morning. We need a clear revelation of of the race that we're running, a clear vision so that we see our way. The second, we need continual fuel so we don't burn out. But the third one, you need a sustainable pace so you don't quit.
How do we not grow weary and give up? Hebrews says, consider him. How do we run our race? We consider Jesus. We look carefully at how Jesus paced his life, and we do the same thing. And this is what I find so interesting. If you read through the Gospels, Jesus was never driven by the tyranny of the urgent. Jesus never had a, I'm too busy this week, I don't have enough time. Jesus always had enough time for every person the Father put in his path. And while literally he's the hope of the entire world, he would show up and not try to be having a revival. Wouldn't that be amazing? You'd show up and be like, I'm just trying to be quiet, and revivals just keep breaking out because God's healing people, and then he'd have to go to the next town. He was so discreet and so quiet. But Luke and several of the Gospels say this. They say that often Jesus withdrew from all of the chaos of life to lonely places to be alone with his Father. How do you run your race? Consider him and do the same. Jesus lived 33 years on earth. Now, if Jesus had been an American, we would have squeezed everything out of those 33 years. But it's interesting that the Gospels only give us one story in Jesus' life before the age of 30. We know almost nothing about how Jesus grew up, except this, that he loved his mama, and he loved his brothers, and he had to be found in his father's house, and he was being faithful. Jesus wasn't driven in his teenage years by a lot of the stress and pressure that we put on modern teenagers. It was enough for him to just plant deep roots and trust the Father that in due time the course would be clear. The three years that Jesus got of his race, he also did not live it in the way that Americans would equate with success. Jesus was not a megachurch pastor. He was a mini-church pastor. Because every time the crowd started getting a little bit too big, Jesus would show up and say something like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. They're like, oh gosh. Jesus was a PR nightmare. <laughs> but how do we consider him? What did he do? Well, constantly when more and more people wanted him, when more of the tyranny of the urgent, they wanted to make him a king, they wanted to make him a name, they wanted to make him a revivalist, but he was content to go with 12 ragtag guys in a group of often unrecognized ladies who funded his ministry and say, I'm going to build my community right here. And I believe that if I would go deep with you here, it's going to change the whole world. And by the way, the reason you and I are sitting here now is because Jesus did not go for the bigger, better, more now. How do we run our race? We consider him. Jesus didn't live bigger or better or about what I hear from so many millennials today, even millennial believers, well, it's all about my platform and it's all about my followers and it's all about me getting there and me getting to the place where people see what I'm doing. It's all about this great idea that I have and I alone have and everybody's going to follow me. Jesus wasn't driven by a restless pursuit obsessed with success. Jesus wasn't always busy saying, I'll rest when I'm dead. If we consider Jesus, we'll see what it looks like to run a race with our eyes focused on our Father, with joy being our inheritance, and at a refreshing pace that always has enough time for those the Father places in the path. And I'm just starting this part of my race, but I gotta tell you, it's the days that I remember that, that oddly, when I stop trying to run and grind and strive, and just to fix my eyes on Jesus, oddly, I'm much more effective in the kingdom of God than when I was ever trying. So I want to close with this big idea for the weeks ahead. Galatians chapter 5, it says this. It says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. 
Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Do you know what that means? That means that we don't run ahead of what God wants to do in our lives. Can I talk to some of my zealous people for just a minute? Now, I'm one of these. I believe there are two kinds of personalities that you typically will see with people. They're what I'd call woe people and giddy up people. Okay? So woe people are the ones that are always doing something nuts and something crazy. They're like ready, fire, aim. Let's just go. The world needs to be changed yesterday. And the most common thing you're saying to them is, whoa, whoa, all right. Let's figure out how to train you so that, right, you can go on the course that you need to go. Giddy up people are the ones sometimes that you have to say again and again and again, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is alive. He's here. His promises are true. And they're Eeyore, right, in a Tigger world. The, Thanks for noticing. All the time you're like, get up, let's go. So, might surprise you to know which one I am of those two. But I would be more of the, 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 uh, the woe Christian that is running, 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 running. So for just a minute, I want to talk, and I don't want you to turn yourself in if that's you, but if you're one of these people that you're always running, that you're going, and you find that you don't have enough time, that's one of your, your biggest things, your resolution is always, I just need more time, I need more time, I need more time, and you're running after things, and forget for a minute whether you're doing it in the realm of the church or the world, because there is no wall between sacred and secular, you're constantly wanting to make the world a better place, more efficient, to run, to build, to go, to do. And then what happens is we get to these New Year's resolutions and we're like, okay, you know, I just need to make more time for my family, make more time for my faith and, and build this this way and that way. I want to talk to my woe people for just a minute. What the Lord started saying to me about keeping in step with the Spirit is he said this, when you run out ahead of where I'm going as if you're dragging the kingdom of God behind you, that's not holiness. It's a lack of vision and poor stewardship. Because I've actually given you enough in the place that I gave you. And instead of you actually believing me, you're trusting you. There are some of us right now that are restless because we so much want that change in the world, so much want that dream that we tend to leave either physically or more often here in our mind the place of abiding. So who am I talking to? If you're at a place where you're always stressed, you're always anxious, you're always going, you're always figuring out, the Spirit of God is saying, whoa. Keep in step with the Spirit. I'm the one that wrote the blueprint. I understand right now that you think that my path looks ridiculous because I'm calling you to walk. I'm saying run 30 seconds, walk five minutes, run 40 seconds, run three minutes, and you want to mock it and say, that's beneath me. But if you just trust me, if you just keep putting on your shoes and getting back out on the running track and let me set the pace, I promise I have a better path for your life than what you could ever build for yourself. For woe personalities, keeping in step with the Spirit means that you need to rest and actually choose to believe that your God is good and he has you. Giddy up personalities. Giddy up personalities, I'll just say, one of, the, one of the hardest places that I've had to walk is when I go in rooms with Christians, and I've talked about this before, where it feels like a pep rally for the losing team. Where you go and you show up and it's like, I'm just going to tell you the goodness of God. Because if you haven't noticed this by now, like, like we are a church of very much what you see is what you get. We're not trying to impress anybody. We're just at the place where it's like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to believe that I need to come up with really flashy, hip, cool message series and fog and lights because I believe Jesus is enough. There are times where I'll show up and I'm like, here's the promises of God. It's right here. Do you guys see it? And I look at a room of Christians going, thanks for noticing and I'm like, get up! Let me say something for giddy up Christians. 
You show up every New Year's and you make the same resolutions that you made last year. Somehow believing because the ball dropped, it's going to be different. You fool yourself. You say, oh, well, the issue is, you know, I, I, I need to share my faith more, but I just need to be more bold. That was the biggest one I ever heard as a youth. I just need to be more bold. It's really not a boldness issue. I, I need to be at the place where I just need to read my Bible more, but I just don't have enough time. What I want to say to the giddy-up people is it's time to stop believing our own excuses. There's some places where the Spirit of God is saying, I've given you more than enough revelation to know where to go next. But the problem is this. We want a floodlight. I want to remind us what Psalm says. It does not say, God's word is a floodlight, which will show you your entire life in precise detail so that it doesn't require faith and you just, like, you know, like a draw by, draw by colored dots, right? You just follow it and you're going to get there. That's not what it says. It says a lamp on your feet and a light on your path. Do you know what that literally means? It means what happened when I went running this morning. It's 6 a.m. and the sun hadn't come up yet and I live in the country, y'all. And so I had to turn on my phone light. Because otherwise, I can't even see where I'm going. And when I turned it on, I got to tell you, it didn't give a whole lot of place to make me feel safe from anything that was going on around me. I think I jumped at a tree once. Okay, not proud, but it happened. Why? Because a lamp on your feet and a light on your path is only enough to show you the next three or four steps. And there are some right now that, listen, please hear me with a heart of love. God has already shown you more than enough for the pursuit of your dream but you're not keeping in step with the Spirit. He's wanting to move, and so his pace is saying it's time to speed up. And so in the weeks ahead, I want to talk about what it would look like for you to keep in step with the Spirit. But right now, this is what I want to do. I want every person, if you close your eyes for just a minute, and I want you to picture something. I'm going to go right back to the beginning of our time together. I want you to picture young fifth grade you. Now, for some of you, this could be further back than others. But I want you to imagine fifth grade you standing out on a running track with your other peers around you. I want you to breathe in and to breathe out. Maybe right now you're looking and you're saying, you know what? I don't even feel I really know how to run. I feel like I'm going to be that awkward kid that I'm going through life, and I feel like just what you said, like, like I just keep cramping up right away, and I don't know how to go. Maybe right now when you're thinking of getting out on the running track, it's frustrating to you because you're already tired and you haven't started running. Maybe you're thinking, I've been here before. I've seen this before. How's it going to be different this time? Because I want you to hear this very simple promise from God this morning. You were made to run your race in a way you can actually win. Your present life right now, your present circumstances, your present finances, your present marital status, your present emotional struggles or junk or addictions or mindsets, your present mess. Breathe in, breathe out. All of that is a race that you were created to win. And you're still breathing, which means that you're still living which means you can still win the race.
Where are you at this morning? Are you approaching life from the standpoint of being victorious or just behaving? Where is it the Father is calling once again for you to dream, to believe? I want you to see just one more thing. As you see you right there on that track in starting position, bent down waiting for any minute for the whistle to go, I want you to see Jesus right next to you with his hand extended, ready to equip you a step at a time from the couch to a 5K to a 10K to a half marathon to the full race called life that you were created to win. All I want to ask this morning is would you let him meet you on the track today? I'm going to ask with your eyes closed from where you are, if you just stand with me. In the weeks ahead, we're going to ask three questions over and over and over again. The first question we're going to ask is, what is God's vision? What is God's race for you? We're going to move past general platitudes. We're going to stand out in the things that actually require faith. God has convicted me way too many times that way too many of my prayer requests and way too many of my dreams would be possible without him. Not that a single breath is possible without him. But there's way too many things I hold that could just be naturally explained by just enough sheer determination. In that, I'm going to call for us to believe boldly again. We're going to ask the question in the weeks ahead, what fuels you to win? We're going to get very practical about what it is that fills you up and restores your joy and puts your eyes back on Jesus, that you would see it and make a priority of it. But we're also, just as importantly, going to see what drains you, what distracts you. And then we're going to ask the question, what pace is the Father calling you right now to run with Him in your marriage, with your kids, in your calling? There's a lot of things I don't know and a lot of things I don't understand. But I know this. Sure, as there are unique fingerprints on your hands, there's a unique vision and a dream that God has for you to run. And you, being fully you, running after the kingdom, so intimidates the enemy who is against you. An enemy who always seeks to kill a move of God in its infancy. That's why he tried to kill Moses as a baby. He tried to kill Jesus as a baby. And I'm telling somebody this morning, There was a time you had a dream. If you don't know what it is this morning, the question of the moment is, what is the dream that God has placed in your life? What is the race worth running? 
And for somebody this morning, you're saying, I don't even remember that. I would ask you to please think back to the last time you had a dream. Would you think back to the last time that you got out of bed in the morning and it was more than just waiting for the shot clock to run out? The last time you believed with childlike faith that your life could really matter, that you could really win. And if it's not presently happening, I'm telling you, there's an enemy who is intimidated by Christ and you, the hope of glory, that at some point in the infancy of that dream tried to kill it. Maybe he did it through people in your life that should have recognized the worth and the calling and the glory in you, that they were too busy with their own junk and they didn't see it and they didn't call it out. Or maybe worse, they even corrected it or they belittled it or they humiliated you in it. And the enemy wanted more than anything else to take your dream out. But beloved, breathe in, breathe out. You're still standing. You've got the shoes of the gospel of peace still on your feet. If what you're seeing in your life isn't yet good, it isn't yet over. Because right now, today, from your present location, from your present surroundings, from your present obscurity, from your present gap and lack, Jesus is standing with his hand extended. Because there's a race for only you to run. And it's a race you can win. Right now, there are countless sons and daughters of God who've gone before you. I see the face of my grandma, one of the heroes of my faith, who in my darkest days is looking and saying, keep your head up, son. Stop looking at the people who came in your lane. Stop focusing on the circumstance that didn't go the way. Stop thinking about the pain of what this hurt, where that hurt, and fix your eyes again on Jesus. Because my God only has favorites, and he was faithful to me. And I ran to the end, and so will you. I've been asking the Lord this week for a tangible picture. If each person, if you could just hold your hands out in front of you, like you're just receiving. What I've asked the Lord to give you this week is some tangible picture of the race he has for you to run some place that he wants to call for you to kick distraction to the curb or discouragement to the curb. What dream is burning in your heart? Where is it that God is calling you to run? I'm asking him to come and be the restorer of dreams long forgotten, long ago put on the shelf. I'm asking him right now just to release to you the fullness of whatever he has. I'm asking where he's given you a lamp on your feet and a light on your path and he's given you the next steps but you've missed it. I'm asking him to speak again with clarity that you know. 
I'm asking for the grace to go back to the last moment you believed and to believe again. I'm asking not for a New Year's resolution, not for hype, but for your father who wants this race more than you. To speak simply because you say, all right, I'm here on the track. My shoes are on and I'm not giving up. Where do you want to run? I ask if you take those hands right now and just place them on your heart. I just want to pray for you. Father God, I ask right now in this moment that you would speak in clear and miraculous ways. That you'd bring back to mind visions and dreams that have long since been buried. That you'd remind us that this is not an after-school special where we try to tie everything up in a neat little bow in 30 minutes, but you who are faithful will not leave us or forsake us. But you'll stay on the track with us and teach us a step at a time how to run out the race that we have. Jesus, I ask right now for anointing, fresh anointing for a new season. I ask for wisdom. I remind you, Father, that you say that if any lack wisdom, that you give generously without finding fault in us. So right now, for your children who are asking, what comes next? Where do I run next? Where do I go next? I'm asking that you release wisdom. I'm asking for the grace and the glory that this year would be different than any year we've known before, not because we set a New Year's resolution, but because your desire is always to take us from glory to glory to glory until glory. And beloved son or daughter, I just speak to you now. I speak directly to your soul. You will finish the race. You will run and not grow weary. And whether you ever see it with your eyes on this side or not, there are a whole lot of people coming after you that will look to you as a great cloud of witnesses because you didn't give up. So shoes on, get in position. Breathe in, breathe out. May we run well. If you agree with that, say.